Good evening, everyone. We go ahead and begin our evening session in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's hope everybody had a, a good afternoon and a good dinner. Hopefully spending some time being with our Heavenly Mother. We move now to talk number four, last sort of essential element that at least... I believe it's crucial for a renewal of Marian devotion in the church and also in our own individual lives. And this talk, unlike the other ones, is going to be a bit more theological, uh, maybe not as much that deals with our own personal lives, but the way that we can envision or understand or focus on certain aspects of who Our Lady is. So now over the course of the past 100 years, as a culture, particularly in the West, we've really come to a heightened understanding of the dignity, of the value, of the genius of women in a way that we simply didn't understand in previous years, in previous centuries. And so in the culture, as we'll see, as much as we can say, all right, there are some problems with radical feminism, Overall, the advances that women have made have been very, very important. I don't think anybody would want to go back to the way it was in centuries past. Women have so many more rights now. They're blessed with the ability to really be involved in the culture in a way they couldn't before. And that the feminine genius has contributed a lot to our world and our culture, medicine, science, art, culture, even politics. And the same holds true in the church. John Paul II wrote the dignity and vocation of women, uh, the letter to women, really taught and proclaimed the role and the value that women have in the church not just as nuns locked up in a convent, but women can contribute to the church, to culture and society. And so we're really truly coming to appreciate even more the dignity and the value of women and this feminine genius. Now, without a doubt, as I said, we can't say that everything has been good. What we normally hear about feminism or see in the media We'll often say that the church's vision or understanding of women is bad, and that if women are going to truly find freedom and true dignity with men, there has to be the sexual liberation. And so as a result of the advent of the pill, we've seen the increase of sexual promiscuity and the problems that have come along with that. But also, again, this idea of radical feminism saying that we have to reject paternalism in a culture and a society. And the woman should not be enslaved to motherhood or enslaved to her body. That motherhood is actually a bad thing. And so how we see that abortion can, is considered a central right, something which is good, part of women's health care. And of course, or the irony of all of this is the, the promotion and all the advances that women have won over the course of the past number of decades, 
now we have transgenderism, which arises. I don't intend to get into a lot of that, but now a man who claims or believes he's a woman should be treated as a woman. I believe, as so do I think a number of feminists, that this undercuts and undermines all the advances that women have made over the course of the past decades. But keeping in mind both the positives and the negatives, I'm not really here to get into too much of a cultural analysis, this renewed understanding of the dignity and value of women in our culture, overall, which I think is positive, helps us to move to our third point of renewing Marian devotion. And that is, if we're going to have an adequate Marian devotion, we're going to have to have, or it's going to have to have, a focus on Mary as a woman. Mary as a woman. Particularly, as we'll see, as both mother and virgin. Highlighting her true femininity, and I'm not advocating, as you'll see, uh, falling into typical gender stereotypes. Not at all. In fact, what I'm going to advocate in this vision of woman is something that probably a lot of people have not thought of before. On the other hand, though, as much as I'm not trying to be here to advocate typical stereotypes for women, that Mary was a woman because she was modest and she was prayerful and she was holy and she didn't open her mouth and she was obedient. I'm not getting into that at all. But I'm, on the other hand, not advocating some sort of a feminist Mariology, that Mary was there to overthrow the patriarchy, that Mary was there to, to show liberation for life. I'm not advocating that at all. But to really come to understand and apply all this talk, at least within the church, of recognizing woman and feminine genius and the role that women have in the church to play and really apply it to Our Lady in a very serious and very real way. What do I mean by that? We talk a lot about, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with the thought of John Paul II on the dignity and vocation of women, about the unique gifts that women have, the insights they bring to the culture and the church, and the church, particularly over the course of the past number of years, has been trying to, to go a little deeper and helping to understand the role and the dignity of women within the life of the church. And so the church has set up a number of role models, women, both religious and lay women, who sort of act as the image or the icon of what a woman ought to be or what holiness in the life of a woman ought to be. And think of Mother Teresa, uh, who did so much work. She, along with the other women I'm going to tend to mention, tend to be very strong, very courageous women. Not timid at all. Not whispering all the time. Not in the background, but often very much in the forefront, leading and guiding. Mother Teresa was very prayerful, but that was a tough cookie. You knew she was. She did not play around. She had no problem bossing people around. She knew what the Lord wanted from her. As Carmelites, Teresa of Avila, that was a strong lady. She had no problem bossing people around, telling people what she thought, uh, exerting her authority in a very positive and loving way, but she was a strong woman. 
other woman, a doctor of the church, Catherine of Siena, be willing to call out the Pope, tell him to go back to Rome, uh, leading and speaking to men within the church, not just saying, well, I'm a woman, so I'm going to be quiet and be obedient. Gianna Beretta Mola, here's the woman who was a doctor, and show that women don't always have to be in the home. They can work. They need to contribute to society and to culture. Madre Luisita and all the good work that she did, a very strong woman. St. Teresa of Lisieux, even though she was the little flower, if you read about her life, that was a very determined, very strong individual, a very strong woman. And we celebrate all this. I mean, think of it, the women that we tend to in the church hold up on high to see as models. These are some strong women. They exhibited the feminine genius. They weren't quiet. They weren't hidden in the corner. Yes, some were virgins. Yes, some were mothers. Some physical, some spiritual mothers. But we see this as valuable. But yet, if we can recognize this as valuable and see these women as, 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 as models for how Christians should behave, as images for women, and I'm sure we can look at a lot of other ones, Mother Angelica, uh, some of the other women that are very involved in speaking for the church today, uh, women's religious, w women who are practicing their faith, uh, speaking at different conferences. I don't know if any of you ever listened to Jennifer Fulweiler on Catholic Radio. Jennifer and I are good friends. That is a smart, tough, intelligent woman who is doing great work for the church. Very, very prominent. And we can recognize this, and we think it's good. And only the rarest people are going to think that somehow this is bad. But yet, we don't want to apply this to the Blessed Virgin Mary at all. Honestly, in our devotion, we say, okay, we're going to recognize this is good for Teresa of Avila. It's good for Gianna Beretta Mola. It's great for Mother Teresa, but for Our Lady, no. Our Lady, she was very humble, and she never said anything. And she was always in the corner praying. And she just let everybody else do what they wanted to do. Now, granted, I'm sort of talking to this in an extreme fashion, but how often do we really take these values of the feminine genius that we recognize of what it means to be a woman and apply it to Our Lady? Now, I'm not saying that Our Lady was proud. Indeed, she was humble, but she was confident in the Lord. And I think as a church, particularly if we're going to draw other people to understand Mary, and particularly maybe draw people that think the church puts down women and, 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 and ostracizes them and puts them in a box and, 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 and prohibits them from living out their gifts, we come to see Mary in this new light, not trying to read things into Our Lady's life, is going to be something that's essential. That Mary, indeed, if she was a woman, was strong to be able to see these characters in her life. The very first thing when you're introduced to Our Lady, what's happening? She sees the angel Gabriel. If you read in the Old Testament, if an angel appeared to you, particularly the archangel appeared to you, what would normally happen? You would die. Angels are so majestic beings. And here, we've got this idea the angel is going to float down with his little wings. No, she's looking and talking to the angel face to face. If someone in the Old Testament would have read that and said, here is this woman talking to an angel who sees and beholds the face of God face to face, 
and she's not struck dead, she's having this conversation, that is a very, very strong woman. She experienced fear. You can see it says it in the Gospel of Luke. But yet she overcame that fear to say, be it done unto me according to your word. She's a very, very strong individual to learn to be obedient to God's word. And so she goes and she, she is facing now, I'm sure, as, jo- as you know what Joseph said, all kinds of rumors. Oh, you know, she's pregnant out of wedlock. The people talking against her, the gossip. And she had to deal with that along with Joseph and say, I'm not going to let it bother me. I have trust in the Lord. He is my strength. And of course, the strength does indeed come from the Lord. And then having to go and give birth, to go look and searching. Here's this pregnant woman, nine, eight, nine months pregnant, looking for a place to stay, and there's nothing going from town to town. She wasn't riding in her Audi. She was riding on the back of a donkey or walking. And then there's no place she's rejected, and she ends up having to go to a stable to give birth. Again, I've never given birth, but I can imagine that's probably not the place you want to do that. It takes a woman with great character. And then, all of a sudden, we find out that Herod wants to kill the children. So she has to get, again, on a donkey or whatever with Joseph, just giving birth to, to Jesus, holding the baby, and going to Egypt. We're talking hundreds of miles in the heat through the desert, worrying about people coming after them. I couldn't walk to Egypt from, from, from Bethlehem. I'd die if that would have to happen. But here she did it. And then she stayed away from her home, away from family, away from friends, in exile until it was safe to come back home. That takes a lot of character, a lot of strength. This is not some sort of like little flower that's just going to bend over. This is a strong woman. And then she comes back, and what does she have to do? She has to raise the Son of God for 30 years. Can you imagine having God as your son? Now, granted, Mary was sinless and she was perfect. It was much more difficult for St. Joseph. But she had to do this, this great responsibility, a great duty. And knowing that he is going to be the cause of the rise, the downfall of many in Israel. She knows the promises. She doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. And then, of course, Jesus goes into his public ministry. And it's the wedding of Cana. What what are Mary's words? Do whatever he tells you. There's confidence there. She knows what her son can do. And she says, Jesus, take care of business. I'm your mama. Listen to me, boy. And he does. There's confidence in Mary confronting Jesus and making this request of him. And for the three years, even though we don't see or hear much of her, we have quite evidence that she's in the background. She's probably cooking dinner for the apostles, probably cleaning up after them, probably giving them advice, listening to them. That takes a a strong woman to to raise and to guide and to be that backbone, even though it's behind the scenes. And then, of course, we know the strength that it takes, the strength from God to endure watching your son suffer and die. And imagine the trial interiorly of faith that she had. I know that this is all going to turn out good, but I don't know how. The interior struggle she had, trying to make sense of this, putting her hope and her trust in the Lord. And then, of course, Jesus comes back and 40 days later leaves, 
and said, all right, Mary, you can hang out with the apostles. Having to support these guys, having to be there with them, that she was on Pentecost. This takes a lot of character. This takes a lot of strength. This is not a weak woman. This is not some little lily in the wind. This is feminine genius. And this, I think, is the way that we, at least at the beginning of the 21st century, have got to emphasize and focus on Our Lady, realizing she was still humble, and she that, that all the gifts that she had came from the Lord. But then let's throw it in that by the time that she was pregnant, she's probably about 14 years old. Try to dump all that kind of stuff on your 14-year-old daughter. Or you when you were 14 years old. And only with the grace of God. But this is the feminine genius. This is what it means to be a woman. Now, again, I'm not falling into stereotypes. Nor am I saying that Mary is Wonder Woman. But as a culture, we're coming to appreciate more and more these strong women. And to give heroes for our young women to stand up for themselves and to study and to speak and to make an impact, to still be a good mother, if that's what the Lord guides them to do, but to have an impact in the world, to not just sit there and be pushed over. Mary was not a pushover. Clearly she wasn't. And that's that renewal of understanding Mary as a woman. But within that, I think we need to focus on those two essential elements that I mentioned earlier to Mary's femininity, to her womanhood, was the fact that she was both mother and virgin. So if we're going to talk about this, the renewal of Mariology, we need Marian devotion to understand Mary as woman, mother, and virgin. So if we look first at the motherhood of Mary, what does that mean? It sort of encapsulates all, the, encapsulates all the points we've discussed so far. Everything that we've looked at. Her humanity. When we think of the tenderness and the emotion and the feelings and the love of a mother. Her as a person relating to her children. That relationship that we need to have with our mother. And of course her femininity. Her femininity coming to fruition in being mother in her body for her son and the spiritual mother of all of us. It's fundamental to our teaching and our understanding dogmatically of Mary. She was the mother of God. She is our mother. She became our mother when Jesus gave her to John at the foot of the cross. And so it's very easy for us to get caught up in all kinds of different titles for Mary. She's queen of this, and our lady of that, and our lady of this. And those are all good things. But when it really comes down to it, you take all those titles away, all the wonderful things that you say about Mary, and essentially, Mary is mother. That's the glory of her femininity. That's the glory of her being a woman. So to be a mom, again, many of you in here are moms. You have to have the tenderness. You have to have the caring. But you also got to be strong. Strong to care for your child. Strong to nurture that child. To guide the child along his life or her life. Motherhood also speaks of sacrifice. The sacrifice in her body, allowing the child to live in her body, sacrificing her body to that child. And the child grows up, all the sacrifices mothers make, in a much greater way, I think, than dads actually make. Because of the love of the child, feeding the child, being there for them, 
And I know every good mother would be willing to die for her child. The love she feels, that connection. Mary experienced those same things with Jesus, and she experienced them with us. And so as much as we want to say, or the culture wants to say, well, motherhood is not part of the glory of the feminine genius, we know that it absolutely is. We know that it absolutely is. It's the perfection, the fulfillment of what it means to be a woman. And so Mary did that perfectly when she was the mother of Jesus. But I think as we sort of meditate on, and again, I'm not giving you any sort of practical things as much as sort of theological reflections, one of the points about motherhood, even though indeed there can be a spiritual motherhood, We'll talk about that in a second. And motherhood, physical motherhood, means that someone has a body. You can't be a, a mother outside of your body, at least physical motherhood. And so this focusing on Mary, these beautiful images of Mary pregnant with a womb, or in the history of the church nursing her child Jesus, the tenderness that she shows to the Lord, Indeed, that physical dimension or aspect of motherhood is important and I think is something we can highlight in our art and our depiction of Our Lady. It doesn't mean there's not a spiritual dimension or that a woman who's adopted a child isn't just as much as a mother, even though the child didn't come from her womb, but she still cares for that child in her body. She loves him or her as a mother. And this is going to be crucial, particularly for a culture where so many people don't have moms. They come from broken families. The mother is unable to love them. There's discord in the family. And that we need, or people need to know, that maternal love. And as I said, that's the relationship. Mary's waiting to enter into a relationship with us, to show us her tender love. We need to be open to that. And particularly the culture needs it with the rejection of femininity or true femininity, with uh, the, the rise of abortion. We need to, to highlight this aspect of the openness to life that Mary perfectly embodies. So we need that as a culture. We need that as a church. And we shouldn't be afraid to say, hey, being a mother is important. Being a mother is the perfection of our femininity. It's something we should be ashamed of. It's something that's important as the backbone of culture and of a family and a society. It's nothing we should be ashamed of. It highlights Mary's femininity. But possibly, I think, as a culture, we need the second one more. Highlight and focusing on Mary's virginity. It is the, the other essential Marian dogma that Mary, in her body, remained a virgin before birth, during birth, and after birth. And so, her physical virginity is something that is crucial because it shows that she belongs totally to God, body and soul, that the body does indeed matter. And more than the rejection of motherhood, as we know our culture rejects this idea of virginity or purity. Sexual freedom means a woman should choose to, to live out her own sexuality, to do what she wants, to claim a hold of her body. 
It's her body, and no one can take it from her. Well, if this is the case, then virginity in a real way shows the true dignity of a woman, that she is going to hold her body in integrity, that she's not just going to give it away. It shows the dignity and value of what it means to be a woman. Now, we all know the the damage that the sexual revolution has done, the rise in promiscuity and pregnancy and abuse and pornography. And we all know, some of us in here may have been the victims of sexual abuse. And so many women who are broken, sort of looking for love in all the wrong places. What they really want to do is be affirmed as children, uh, as, so they can see the image and likeness of God in themselves, but often settle for cheap sex and relationships, which build upon the already pre-existing feelings of shame and unworthiness. I work with college students and young people, and I see this all of the time. So many women walking around with shame, not seeing their dignity as women, as individuals, and therefore leading lives that just accentuate that shame. And so I'm a firm believer that the world needs now more than ever the witness of virginal love, chaste love, that only a virgin or a chaste woman can bring into the world, detached, pure, not objectifying. It's a powerful love, a love that heals, a love that has the the ability to transform in a way very similar to the way that the love of a mother can transform. It's a powerful witness, and it's something that our world needs, and unfortunately, we just don't see as much of it today not only in the world, but also with the witness of women's religious. There's so many broken people out there, and they need, who've been abused, who've been treated like garbage, who experience so much shame, and what they need is someone to love them in a pure way, to love them in a pure way so their hearts and their bodies can be healed. Again, I deal with a lot of people, uh, young people who are preparing for marriage or in college, and really struggle with chastity. And I've come to find out what I think is one of the biggest reasons that young people today, and maybe even older people today, struggle with chastity. Again, maybe you'll say, oh, it's because of the temptations on the internet, or because of the sexual revolution, or because of the pill, or whatever. The real reason I think, and I've asked a lot of people this, those who have a hard time living chastely, is the fact that they've never been loved chastely. They've never been loved in a chaste way. They've never experienced what that is like. And as a result, they don't think it exists, or they don't know how freeing, how rewarding, how healing that can be. And so Mary becomes that image of what it is like to be loved in such a pure way, in a virginal way, and giving inspiration for other women to love in that same way. The need for religious sisters, I think. And again, I'm not saying that mothers and all women can't love in a pure way, but that virginal love is something which 
the world needs now and simply doesn't have as much of. And again, it's hard for women to say, yes, I want to follow in that chaste way. I want to be a religious sister. I want to be a consecrated virgin because there's so many other options. But the world needs it. And if we're going to see a shift and a change, we're going to have to have that experience of being loved in the chaste and virginal way. Imagine what it was like for the apostles to be loved by Our Lady. Imagine what it's like to be loved if you're broken and, and been used in that chaste, virginal, beautiful way. It certainly can be transforming. And that's why both Mary's maternity and her virginity are crucial for our understanding of what it means to be a woman, but also for our spirituality, for our church, and our world. So, when you look at that, though, what does it really boil down to? What have I been talking about? And talking about Mary's humanity and her heart, and talking about the relationship. Is that the Immaculate Heart of Mary is the heart of a mother, is the heart of a virgin, is the heart of a woman. And what is that heart there for? That heart is there to love. To love as only a woman can love. To love as only a mother can love. To love as only a virgin can love. And that we are called by having a true devotion to Mary to be open to experiencing that love, of knowing that love, and in doing so, being able to speak to other people about how strong Mary is as a woman, as a virgin, as a mother. And that we've experienced that love, and that love is crucial. And that's what the Immaculate Heart is about. Not just a little devotion, not a picture you have next to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It's real. Because the heart is meant to give. The heart is meant to love. The heart is meant for relationship. And so that's what I want you to do for your homework, ladies, tonight. We're, I'm going to explain what we're going to do in a second. Is that tonight and tomorrow in our final conference is to take some time to meditate on the feminine genius of Mary and some of the ideas that maybe I presented, to see Our Lady in a new light, not as some feminist heroine. I'm not saying that at all. Mary is not Wonder Woman. Don't picture her with a sword or anything like that. And she's not, you know, Betty Friedan or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. But Mary is a strong woman, the character of what it takes, the things we value, and to see those in Our Lady. And then also to ask, as we've already talked about being with Mary, to experience her maternal love and her virginal love, to understand those are the two parts of the two halves of what it means for Mary to be a woman. And particularly, in experiencing that, to ask for a deeper healing from any wounds that we may have, whether inflicted upon us by others who should have loved us or by our, on ourselves and choices that we've made. And through that healing, Think, too, the healing power and the healing love of Mary are going to be able to bring about that true uh, renewal of understanding and devotion to Our Lady. So, speaking of healing, we are going to realize that Mary always leads us to her son. And Jesus is the true healer. And so all of the talk that we've been having on Our Lady, Our Lady is guiding us to encounter her son Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. 